One day we're going to get Caleb, and he's going he's gonna to start. He's going to start it one day. I keep asking him, you want to start, want to start? And he looks at my notes, and he's all, I don't even know what to do with that. So. <laughs> Great. Hey, if you are not in a small group, again, we would encourage you guys to be in one. There's a sign up in the back. It doesn't. If you sign up, it doesn't mean you have to be in one, but we'll give you a call, give you more information about small groups because we think it'd be great if everybody was actually in one, so you connect better uh, with other people. Uh, I am sporting the the element wear for softball. So actually, uh, we made a couple extra. If you guys want one, uh, this is the blue. I think I've only got like two or three blues left. Uh, Jason back there is sporting the sweatshirt. That's right. See, we all do the same cues. We're all like, good thing there's not like a pole here. Okay, anyway. You guys just need to lighten up, okay? Once again, if it's your first time here, welcome. Welcome. Uh, anyway, uh, I think t-shirts are seven bucks. I think they cost us seven bucks. Uh, we have a couple of black t-shirts left. They're seven bucks. Long sleeves are nine. Sweatshirts ended up being 22 because we got the thick ones because we like those. Uh, and again, baptisms are the last Sunday of this month. If you want to be baptized, sign up. Uh, baptisms for us, it's a community affair where we invite everybody to come to this. We're going to get together for lunch. Uh, and so we're going to make all of you guys food. And we're going to hang out and we're going to watch the baptisms together so we can all be a part of it. Because that's the point. Baptisms is, is about a public proclamation that says, you know what? I want to follow Jesus and I want everybody to know this. And so we as a family get together and we support that. So, and then after it's done, you guys can all swim in the pool. Because it's not like holy water or anything. It's not like, you know, it's that TV show, Supernatural, where they take the holy... Let's forget it. We're just going to go. I'm just babbling. Okay, standing reading of God's Word. This is Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7, and it says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we as a people would understand what servanthood actually means. And that we would be a people who don't strive to be God in our own lives, but we put you there that we realize that you are God and you have called us to live a certain way. Help us to live that way. Amen. Have a seat. If you are new here, we are going through the Gospel of John. We are uh, in chapter 13 this week, so if you have a Bible, you can open up there. Uh, I think this is week like 20 million, I don't know, something like that. It's great. Uh, Today you get a classic picture of who Jesus is. When you read a lot of the other Gospels, this is where the Last Supper starts. And when you see the other Gospels and the Last Supper, you get like, oh, here's the meal and maybe one other thing that goes on. John actually spends a couple chapters talking about the conversations that take place during the Last Supper. So to set the stage, kind of to set the table, (laughs) so to speak, man... My jokes just get worse and worse. Uh, if you don't get this, you might miss the beauty of the entire situation and the significance of these actions. So I'll ask you a couple of questions. The first one is this. If you could, how many of you would want to know the when and how of your death? You go, ah, I don't wait. Because uh, really, it's a little freaky to think about, maybe. You know, no matter how it comes about, if you're just sleeping, which would kind of be great, or uh, if it's like some plane crash or an automobile accident, then it's like, oh. But what if it's like crucifixion? Would you really want to know, like, that hasn't been around for so long, and they're going to take you and cruise? I, that would just be terrible. Wouldn't you think about that? It's like March, you know, 27, 2010, you're going to be crucified. The whole year, you'd just be like, 
pee in your pants all year long looking forward to the, to the date. Now, Jesus, like, I don't think I, I'd want to know, but Jesus didn't have the luxury of not knowing. He knew when, he knew the how, crucifixion, and he knew who would betray him, Judas. And John 13 is the day before Jesus dies. These are the events leading up to the crucifixion and how they all played out. Now, if you knew you were going to die tomorrow, what would you then do tonight? You know, how would you spend your money? How would you spend your time? Would you say, well, I've got you know, a couple thousand bucks in my bank account. I'm going to go and just blow it because I'm going to die tomorrow. Or would you do what Jesus did and that spend some time with his friends and leave some lasting memories with them? What would you actually do? So John 13, this is what Jesus does. John 13, verse 1, it starts like this. It was just before the Passover feast. In the last couple of weeks, I've said this to you a couple of times now, Passover is Israel's commemorance and remembrance of God delivering them from slavery into freedom. Uh, when Israel, they were slaves in Egypt, and God sends a succession of plagues upon the Egyptians so they will let God's people go so they can be free. The last and most devastating plague is the death of every firstborn male child that was not in covenant relationship with God. And so the way the Israelites would show this was they would take the blood of a lamb and they'd paint their door frames, their doorposts with this blood and God's angel would pass over their home representing that God had brought them from death into life, from slavery into freedom. And they remember this as a yearly event called Passover. The Passover event is happening right now. Jesus comes into Jerusalem at the right time, showing that he is the Passover lamb. As a matter of fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So this lamb that would represent that God has brought you from slavery into freedom and from death into life, this lamb was Jesus. As a matter of fact, John the baptizer, when he's out baptizing in the beginning of the book of John, in John 1, 29, John says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, pointing to Jesus. So Jesus is this Passover lamb. And so John 13, all of these things begin to come to a climax at the perfect time, Passover. 13.1, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So he knows his death is coming. His last moment is here. So he shows them his love. That is what he wants to do. He loves his disciples to the bitter end. And now he shows them this love as he gets his students together for a meal. Verse 2, the evening meal was being served. And the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Now think about this. You're about to die. This is your last meal. And the guy who sets everything up so you get betrayed and killed is there for dinner. Would you invite that guy for dinner? No. I mean, not to kill him, but actually to actually serve him food and show him some grace. Would No, you and I would not do that. This is why the scriptures use the word holy in reference to God. The word holy means different. It means other. God is not like us. Scripture says we are to love our enemies. It is easy to love our friends, but our enemies, that is something other. In Luke 22, it's in the same event that's happening, and all of a sudden in the middle of this, a dispute breaks out in Luke 22. Do you know what the dispute was about? Who was the greatest? Who's the greatest? That's what the dispute was about. It it should be a simple answer. You're having dinner with Jesus, God in the flesh. Shouldn't that be a simple answer? Who's the greatest? Oh, Jesus, look, that'd be... But no, they start arguing who's the strongest, who's the most capable. When we get to the kingdom of God, who's going to reign on the throne? And Jesus doesn't yell at them. Jesus simply redirects them and tells them there is the way to be the greatest. You serve. You want to be the first, you be the last. You want to be the highest, you be the lowest. You want to be the most, you be the least. God's kingdom is an inverted set of principles. And Jesus shows them how to be the greatest by doing it himself. 
That is the point of what we're looking at today. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is one of the classic portraits of Jesus' humility. The verse we started with, Philippians 2, 5 through 7, it says, Who, being in very nature God, takes the very nature of a servant. This is the ultimate act of servanthood, Jesus washing feet. In this culture, a foot washer was the bottom of the social food chain. If we went out and we said, you know, what, what's the current American social food chain? We would have like Superman to the amoeba, right? And down here, if a foot washer is below the amoeba, that's how low they were. Nobody wanted to be associated with the foot washer. If you were the worst person, in the, that was your job, foot washer. And Jesus takes on this job. You have dirt roads, animals. When animals walk on dirt roads, what do they do? Poop, right? It's okay to say poop in church. That's, that's okay to say. Uh, and so you show up to someone's house and your feet are covered with dirt and mud and animal poop and open-toed sandals and, and guys' feet. They are calloused and they are nasty. Even in our day, you know, we use what? Fast-acting tenectin. You know, and, and it still doesn't make guys' feet not disgusting. Guys' feet are always nasty. And the last thing a guy wants to do is wash poop off another guy's feet. I mean, some of you guys know your feet. It is like evidence that we have all fallen short of the glory of God and sin is in the world because you know your feet. That's it. And so what would happen is you would go into a room and the least in the home would come and they would wash your feet. The room that Jesus is in is a borrowed room and so there's no one to wash feet. There's no host. So their feet are nasty. Jesus looks at his guys. He knows no one has washed their feet. Maybe they're lazy. Maybe they refuse to wash their own feet because they're nasty and there's no fast acting to acting in the corner. So Jesus gets up and he sets the example. He takes off his outer garment, gets a basin of water, and God scrubs the dirt off the feet of his creation. It is amazing. His own creatures. I mean, imagine God becomes a man. In Jesus. I mean, that's astounding to me. But God becoming the lowest slave, that's unthinkable. It's unthinkable. And this is what strikes me the most. He washed Judas's feet. He washes Judas's feet. I mean, you have a friend, some that you know that have got, has gossiped about you and tried to destroy you and be a part of a plot to kill you. You wash his feet. You invite him to your party and you wash his feet. Would I do that? No. I wouldn't do that. Don't expect me to. You know, if I had a large basin of water, I'd invite you over and I'd stick your head in it and I would hold you in it until you quit struggling because that's, that's what I would do. Jesus washes the guy's feet who will walk out of this meeting and betray him. Now, is Judas ever going to change? Is Judas ever going to love God? No. Up to this point, what has Judas been doing? Stealing Jesus' money. I mean, you steal Jesus' money, you get the corner of the Blair Witch basement of hell. That's what you get. <laughs> Okay, you don't get washing feet. He's going to betray Jesus, take his cash, commit suicide. You and I, we look at this and we go, good, to hell with Judas. That's where he needs to go. We're done. He had enough of Jesus' love and enough of Jesus' grace and enough of Jesus' time. He's going to go to hell. We all know it. But Jesus still cares about him anyway. Jesus washes his feet. He loves him. He cares for him and it will not make a bit of difference. You know why? Because he loved the Father. And though Judas never appreciated it, the Father did. And so Jesus does that. The heart of humility does things, not because it will be a good return on your investment or because it will be successful with your time and your energy. It does things because it brings honor and love to God. Now, I used to work 
with a guy who uh, was in a church, and he said that he hates counseling people, and he would never counsel people because it's not a good return on his investment. He said they come, and they take, and they take, and they take, and they never give anything back, so it's not a good return. I, I can tell you that that is not the reason that you counsel people. You counsel people because it brings honor to God, and you can help people. That's why you do it. You know, I, there, there are some people I counsel who never show up here. They, they just take and take. There are others who become vitally involved in this body, and it's beautiful to see the difference in their lives. We do not do it because of the investment. We love and give grace and serve because it honors the Father. Jesus doesn't get bitter. He just loves God and does it for God's glory. He honors the Father. The hard part about Judas is that we like to think we're better than Judas. We like to think that Judas is a punk and he's a thug and he's a hoodlum and a thief and he should die and go to hell because he's a bad guy. Unlike me, who is a really good guy and maybe every once in a while just does something wrong. But Jesus comes in humility and loves us when we also want nothing to do with him. He not only cleanses a disciple's feet, but he cleanses our soul from sin. Because we pull a Judas every single day. If you call yourself a believer, you are supposed to live the gospel in your life by what you do. People are supposed to see it visibly by what you do. And how many of us every single day preach a false gospel by how we treat people, by what we do, by how we drive on the freeway? You know, how many of us every single day, we pull a Judas. Uh, have you ever said, have you ever said, I'm a Christian and yet preach that false gospel by how you live? Maybe sometimes you act like maybe work's more important than God or work's more important than your family. That's preaching a false gospel. Have you ever taken money that belonged to Jesus and spent it on you because your own comfort is more important than giving to God? Have you ever denied Christ where you've acted very pious and self-righteous and you got angry at God in your own heart? Have you ever thought that Jesus was wrong and you were right? And that's why you're going to do your own thing because you don't want to listen to what he has to say. We are all Judas. And it bothers us because we're more like Judas than Jesus. Verse 6. He came to Simon Peter. And Peter, he is loud. He's rash. People think that Peter's got something wrong with him. I think Peter's Irish. Uh, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And now Peter's very skilled at recognizing the obvious. Jesus has a towel, a basin of water. He picks up Peter's foot. He's like, you're going to wash my foot? It's like, yes, Gil Grissom or Sherlock, or Columbo, or whatever your metaphor is. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter doesn't get it, and Jesus just says, trust me, one day you'll get it. Last week I kind of talked about this a little bit with you. Anyone who says they know exactly what God is doing, they're a liar. What, what does God have for you in your life? I don't know. But, I, I mean, but, but you will go through your life, and one day you will look back and you will say, oh, that's what God is doing. What we do in the middle of it is we love him, we obey what he says, we trust him, even when we don't see where it is going. And in faith in the future, we look back and we go, oh my goodness, God's a genius. Look what he was doing. And we realize it. If you go to any Christian bookstore, you can find a hundred cheesy books on the issue of how to make it all work out. And they'll give you like these three steps that you take. But they will give you those three steps because they have actually been through this in their life and they walked through it and they found these three steps and now they write a book for you to follow these three steps. They didn't have those three steps then. They had to trust. They had to have faith. They had to follow God. They didn't know what God was doing in the middle of it. Jesus tells Peter, trust me, just like he tells us to trust him. I talk to a lot of people these days about losing their jobs. And what is God doing? I, I don't know. I don't know. But I will tell you this. In a few years, we will look back and we will be like, oh, that's what God was doing. And in the middle of it, we have trust and faith. And we begin to just have our faith grow more and more because we trust what he is doing. God 
does amazing things in people's lives. Your life will affect other people. Other people will affect your life. Even before people are even believers, this happens. People come in and out of your life, and they touch you, and your heart is changed and moved. And you come in on the other side, and you're like, wow, look at all that God was doing, even when I didn't even realize it. God is in the recycling business. I guess God goes green, apparently. He's like NBC. Because God takes broken, used lives and makes them something into something glorious and awesome. Jesus tells Peter, trust him. In verse 8, what does Peter say? No. Verse 8. No, he's like a, he's like a two-year-old. No, that's his word. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. So Peter likes to tell Jesus what to do. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless you receive my grace and service and love, we don't have friendship. Verse 9. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. What is he doing? Still telling Jesus what to do. It's, you know, okay, then Jesus, wash my whole body. Which is kind of freaky for a grown man to wash another grown man's body. I mean, why do you think Peter struggles so hard with Jesus serving him in that way? Anybody? Pride, yeah, pride. There is something in us that longs for autonomy and self-sufficiency. Jesus comes to us and he says, you need me. And we say, no, no, I'll take care of my own dirt. And Jesus says, you can't. You need me. Some people criticize Christianity because they say, oh, it's easy. Well, you know, you don't have to do anything. In one sense, that's true. In another, it's, it's not. You don't have to earn God's love. But if I gave you 15 steps of how to get to heaven and how to have God love you, you would have a whole lot of pride because you would do those 15 steps and you'd be like, look at me, look what I did. But if I come to you and I tell you, you can never earn it. You can never please God, love God, know God, unless God comes to you first and reveals himself to you like a child and gives you himself and you can't earn or merit that, that becomes very hard because all of a sudden it's not about us we don't get to boast we want to proclaim our own victory yet jesus is the one who takes care of our mud and our stench some people have a very hard time being like jesus and taking care of other people some people have a very hard time being like peter and letting jesus and other people take care of you personally i like to make sure everybody's taken care of i i hate people trying to take care of me i, I really don't like it I think Peter is the same way. He wrestles with grace, humility, and the sacrifice that is coming to him. And so Jesus takes all that's going on and he uses it for a teaching opportunity because he's brilliant. Verse 10, Jesus answered, A person who has, a, who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. So Jesus now uses this as a metaphor for salvation. We are like dirt. We need cleansing. Later in the book, Jesus dies to make us clean. He says when you're cleansed like that, you may still mess up. There will be places where you sin. But when you do, you need to wash up. Just like you wash your hands, we wash before God, and God comes and he straightens us up again. People like to pick on Peter a lot, but you know what? At least Peter's honest. That's what I like about Peter. He just says what he thinks. There's no barrier between his brain and his mouth. It just comes out. And when, Peter re and when Jesus rebukes Peter, Peter listens, and he changes. And you look at Judas. Judas, in Jesus' metaphor, he is not clean. Because Judas is pious. You look through all the Gospels. He never says a word. He doesn't cause any waves. He has a pious, hard heart. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you what? Do them. You'll be blessed if you do them. 
for many people, faith comes down to this philosophical discussion. Well, it's lived out in my heart and blah, blah, blah. Faith is supposed to be intensely practical. It is about how you live, how you treat people, how you spend your money and your time. It's all subject to how you view God. People love to argue with systems and religion, but we have a hard time simply being inconvenienced to help someone else, especially our enemies, those we don't like. And Jesus says, you will be blessed if you live this way. Guys, it is not enough to have a theology of Christ's humility. We need to learn to be humble. It is not enough to have a theology of Christ's servanthood. We need to learn to be servants. It is not enough to have a theology of Christ's gracefulness. We need to learn how to also extend grace. And part of that is first being like Peter and letting Jesus cleanse us. And it's also learning to be like Christ so his love and his works flow through us to other people. In the early church, that is how they grew. People would go to the early church and they would be like, you know, why do you help that guy that's a cripple? He's useless. There's no return on that investment. Why do you help that woman? She's old and beyond childbearing years. They're useless. You know, why do you have joy when people call themselves Christians are being slaughtered every day? The answer in the book of Acts is always Jesus. We do it to honor Christ. We live in a world that loves to speculate and draw conclusions about everything. But Jesus died for our sins so we can truly live. We can love those who hate us. We can show people a little piece of the kingdom here and now. We'll be blessed if we do these things. I mean, no one can argue with a transformed life. If you have someone who was hard that is now soft, someone who is mean that is now sweet, someone who is selfish and now sacrifices for others, someone who is abusive and now they're broken, someone who is an outcast who is now loved, you can't argue with that. You know, part of a church... Part of their function is to show these these two different things, to be like Peter and learn to accept and receive grace and be like Jesus and extend that grace and love to other people. Uh, Turn to Galatians chapter 6. Paul very practically talks about this, how we love and serve each other. Um, Paul kind of says people are in in two categories. You have one who shows up to to a body of believers in a church and they say, oh, great, I can take care of everyone. Nobody needs to take care of me. And another people walk up and they go, great, a church, they can all take care of me. He goes, both these are not great. So Paul goes to the area of practical ministry. Some people think that ministry gets done through a church committee. Trust me, if you want ministry done, never goes through a church committee. You just shouldn't have done. Committees talk about ministry and never do it. It's kind of like phone sex. You know, it's not the real thing. So here you go. Some people get told, they say, you know, go to Bible college, study theology, you know, learn the difference between what was a Greek thought and a biblical thought and whatever. Some of you should do that. Most of you shouldn't. Most of you shouldn't do that. You are all right now, if you call yourself a believer, you are ministers exactly where you are. You want to find the most effective minister to the go- of the gospel to reach out to your nut job, drank too much last night, can't find their pants friends? Okay, that's you. You look in a mirror. You're the best person to do that. Every believer is called to be a minister. And so you take your friends and you love them and you serve them and you help them. Galatians chapter 6 goes like this. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, if someone's feet are dirty, okay, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. You wash their feet. But be careful. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. You may want to go play in their mud. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The word for burden is something heavy. It is something that will crush you. And so you need brothers and sisters and a family to come along beside you and help you carry it. Not for you to walk around and go, no, 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 I got it, I got it, I'm fine. 
If anyone thinks he has something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. Humility is not a competition. Humility doesn't look around and go, oh, look, I'm the most humble person in the room. Because you just miss the point when you say that. Humility does the right thing because it is the right thing and God gets glory. For each one should carry his own load. Now, some people say, well, there's a contradiction there. Verse 2 says carry each other's burdens. Verse 5 says carry his own load. Well, there's two different words that are used here. A load is something light. The word for burden is something heavy. God puts light loads on people so they will grow up and learn to carry them. We need to buck up. It builds humility. It builds faith. If it is heavy, it can crush you, so you need people to help you carry that. It's an issue of discernment. Now, some of you love to create drama. Okay? If you don't know if this is you, ask your friends, and if they're honest with you and you freak out, well, that's you. Hey, that's how it works. Is everything a catastrophe in your life? You know, call the president, call Jesus, get the prayer chain together. The end of the world's here. I can't find my remote. You know, okay, exactly. You know, some of you make everything a burden. Sometimes the church being loving to you says, buck up and carry it. You're going to be fine. Paul's word is carry it because what you're doing is you're taking attention away from the true needs that are there. For the heavy things, we need people to help us to carry them. A heavy burden. And if you have a heavy burden and you don't allow a church to help you, you're robbing them of a blessing because God says, let them help you because it blesses them and God takes glory in that as well. You know, some of you guys, you never say anything until it's too late. You know, you, you and your wife, you're brawling and you're near divorce and it's been going on for years and you never say anything. You need someone to help you carry that burden. You know, some people end up in the hospital and like somebody dies and they're in the hospital and they can't take care of their kids. They don't call and say anything to anybody. It is our job to help you. It is our job. That is part of washing feet in Galatians 6. Washing feet. Now, usually, at the end of John 13, a lot of people come down, they have a foot-washing service. I hate those. It's not going to happen here. Okay, so we're good. Plus, I don't want to wash your feet. <laughs> but they, they miss the point. Because we wash each other's feet, you'll find your friend, you'll tickle their foot, and you'll feel good about it. You know whose feet you need to learn how to wash? Judas's feet. That's whose feet you need to wash. See, washing feet is about living your life, loving God, asking Him to show you places you can extend God's grace to people around you. That is washing feet. It's like this. Um, you, work, you work someplace, hopefully most of you do and haven't lost your job yet because of our economy. And so you work someplace. And you have maybe somebody that works with you that you necessarily don't like very much. And their car breaks down. What should you do? You should get up early. You should pick them up. And you should take them home. That's, what you, that's washing feet. And you know what? You don't oversell the thing. Don't like go get a 10-pound Bible and put it on your dashboard next to your Jesus bobblehead and put some cheesy... Christian worship CD in your, in your deck and you know, some WWJD bracelet and a fish on your car and be like, hey, bless you, get in the car. And, you, know, you don't oversell the thing. If they ask you, why are you picking me up? You don't even like me. You go, because Jesus loves you and I follow Jesus and you know what? I'm going to love you too because that's how he calls me to live. That's what you do. That is washing feet. It is simple. It is practical. It is loving people around you. You do something for others. You don't make a big deal about it. You don't call a press conference. Somebody invites you over to dinner at their house all the time. You know, wash their dishes. Do something nice for them. If you're married and your spouse comes home and they're just in a terrible mood, you know what you do? You make them dinner. Guy or girl, either way, okay, massage their shoulders, rub their feet, make love to them, put them to bed. If you're single, don't do that, okay? (laughs) It is simply learning to serve those around you 
practically doing it. Not so we get glory, not so we get a thank you, but because it is what Jesus did. Even to Judas, who never appreciated it. He just loved the Father as we should with practical grace. Jesus promises that we'll be blessed when we live that way. So, if you are proud this morning, get your eyes off your own feet and give grace. If you are someone who gives all the time, learn how to receive as well. This is the part of coming to the place where we reflect and learn on Peter's lesson. And when we let Jesus clean us up, and we in turn live around us to the world just like Jesus did. I mean, that is the point of communion. You know, communion is the place where we remember that Jesus washed us, washed our feet, washed our souls. So you take that cracker and you break it, which represents his body, which was broken. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice, it represents his blood that was shed for you and I. So that we can be clean, so that we can in turn show grace to the world around us and live practically how Jesus calls us to live. So we're going to worship God through communion. We're going to worship God through prayer. There'll be some elders and deacons in the back of the room. And if you are someone who has a hard time giving, maybe you should go pray with them. And so maybe God will change your heart and help you to learn how to give. If you are somebody who always takes, everything's always a burden, pray with them. And maybe they'll say, buck up, learn how to carry it. I'll tell you, guys are like pickup trucks. Put a little weight in the back and they go straighter and better. You know, when it's wet outside, they just kind of get all squirrely around. A little weight in the back, and they go better. And I think God puts a little bit of weight on every single guy so they go straighter. Learn how to carry that, because that'll be good for you. So if you need prayer, pray with one of the elders or deacons in the back. Worship God through prayer. The band's going to come back up. As you do some songs, take some time as you take communion, as you pray, to ask God, you know, where are the burdens? Where are the loads? How do I need to learn how to wash feet? Where are the feet in my life that I need to learn how to wash? I know, he's, he's huge. He just washed my feet, see? So, so we worship, worship God through song. We're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back of the room. You can even give online if you're so inclined. I actually give online. Uh, and we give simply because Jesus gave so much to us. And last, we're going to worship God through fellowship. When we're done, hang out, talk to each other, get to know some other people, learn how to fellowship. We can spur one another on in learning how to wash feet. I mean, that is the point. Loving others, living as Christ wants us to live. That is how we should be. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us to be a people who can get our eyes off of ourselves. That we can be uh, your people who learn to extend grace and also learn to receive it when it's offered to us as well. God, we freely confess that there are many times when we preach a false gospel by how we live. And I ask that you would your spirit would come and convict our hearts and touch our souls when that happens. And that we would repent and we would lay our lives at your feet and you would wash us again. God, it it is true that sometimes we just wallow in mud and dirt. And I know you look at us and you say, why? When you long for us to be clean, So this morning, touch our hearts. Have us learn the places we need to walk away from so we're no longer wallowing in the mud. And teach us the places we need to walk into so that we truly learn how to wash feet. 
for you are our friend and our Savior and our Lord and our God and our King. And we want our lives to reflect that because you are worthy of the glory and the honor of everything that we do. Amen.